0: Hello ladies and gentlemen and welcome to Ranks FC, it's your favourite football podcast. Back for another week and back to dissect what has been perhaps the most manic week of draws in Champions League, Europa League and Europa Conference League history. Uh, It has been four draws that we saw on monday you know and uh, in the infamous words of peep show four draws jeremy that's <laughs> insane my name is jack <laughs> collins and i'll be your host today and joining me is our rank on mr sam Tai. hello my friend Hello,
2: mate, and of course our transfer guru, Mister Dean Jones. Hello, mate. Hello, mate. How are we? We're all good. Yeah, good. It was, it was interesting yesterday, wasn't it? The draws. Obviously, we were at live score and um, doing a live show, uh, live reaction to the draw, and um, we thought we'd done a good job of the first one, and, uh, <laughs> and literally two minutes later, we're like, "Oh, no one's. That's not going to see the light of day, is it? That's yeah. annoying." Thought we did really well to react to that, and looking forward to Messi and Ronaldo and all the rest of it. Um, but luckily. The second draw was just as good, if not better. Um, and now instead of Messi v Ronaldo, we've got like Sergio Ramos against Real Madrid and stuff like that. So it's going to be cool. Um, it's still a couple of months away, but plenty to get excited about. And the best thing about this is we can rank it now and we can rank it again near the time as well. So we can we can assess it at both ends. Yeah, well, it's a nice one
0: because obviously we, we talk a lot about the way that things can change between here and January and here in February, in fact. Um, and, and there's a lot to get through. But we're going to start with talking about the Champions League. Uh, and then a little bit later, we're going to have a, a, a brief well slightly brief deep dive into oh, the do Europa hour, League man. and Europa Conference. League. I promise you I won't do another hour um, but because there's so much to get through there's not really time for things we love. I do just want to give a really brief shout out though to the rain of toys that happens every single year at Real Betis. It's been a bit of a social media phenomenon over the last couple of days um, but at the Via Marine every year the last home game before Christmas will the fans bring in soft, cuddly toys and throw them onto the pitch for disadvantaged children at Christmas time. So make sure that nobody goes without a present. Uh, And it's one of just the nice things that happens in football that I think we often forget sometimes with how... You know, strange and weird this world can be that there are some lovely things that happen and, and the reign of toys at the Via in every single year never fails to to bring a tear to my eye. it's a real like a special moment so mm, just lovely. wanted to shout that out before we get stuck into this drawer and with that Sam I'm going to hand over to you
1: yeah I mean I'm going to rank the teams what else would I do in this scenario <laughs> uh, but I'm going to rank the uh, the 16 remaining teams it's not ranked on like how likely they are to win because we don't have a bracket there's way too much to figure out from here here until then they are ranked though on how strong they feel right now and that means that as dean said we can revisit this in february and take a look at what's changed and who's Movers gone up and, and shakers and, and, yeah who's gone down so we'll do it now we'll do it again in february double ranking it's my favorite type of ranking um so we'll start at the bottom and I'm going to whiz through probably the first like 6 8 or something like that so that we're not here all day I'm sure in the, terms the, the of listeners just will to pay-
0: give it some context sam is is this going to include kind of who's drawn who uh, it, no, as, as it's, part, not. it's just where they are right now. So we're not it's looking just, at, you know, yeah. putting, you know, the team that draws Manchester City as as the bottom of the pile because the chances of them qualifying against Manchester City feel the lowest right now.
1: No, that's not how it's going to go at the moment. Okay. Uh, we can maybe take a look at that in February or maybe maybe from the quarter final stage, but it's just too difficult to do with too much to happen and no okay. bracket as well. We don't know who's going to draw who in the quarters, so it feels a bit of a fruitless task. So this really is on peer to peer strength. And uh, we'll start at number 16. And I was through the first couple at least. Uh, I'm going to go with Villarreal at 16. I'm surprised that they are here. Let's put it that way. They got two wins over young boys in the groups, which kind of propelled them to a point where they could then go and, to be fair, stave off Atalanta on the final game of the of the group stage. And i again, surprised that they managed to do that and, and props where it's due. but. They've thoroughly underwhelmed me this season, to be honest with you. Injuries have definitely played a part in that. They are down in 13th in La Liga and they keep drawing games. And it's going to be a, a relatively common theme here at the bottom of the list. But Villarreal in 16th and Lille in 15th are two teams that I don't know if I'd back them to beat any of the best teams in Europe. Like they might get by against. A kind of Europa League standard side or maybe lower down in the table than that. But when it comes to this stage of the competition, it's tough to have faith in teams like Villarreal and Lille as well. I mean, Lille have been hit hard this season. Financially, it's been a bit of a struggle. They lost Christophe Gaultier, their manager from last season. They lost Mike Magnan. botman has been injured the whole year. So again, injuries are playing a part, but they're 11th in Liga. And every time they've played one of the best teams in France this season, they've either lost or drawn. I don't think they've beaten any of them. They lost 4-0 to Nice, they lost to Lens, they lost to PSG, they drew to Monaco. So
0: I'm surprised you are. Lille
1: above Villarreal, to be
0: honest. I know at the bottom, there's, it's a little bit of a much of a muchness, but Villarreal mm. just knocked out Atalanta, who I think are currently the second best side in Italy, um, and Lille
1: are, are not. Um, and, and Yeah, and I, it, is a, it, is it. A, it is a bit of a much of a muchness, and I did flip them around a little bit last night. Um, but I just, I don't know, there's, there's, there's like a wily element to Lille. Um, which you, you, never quite, you never quite know on, on the day. Uh, you know, get Burak yilmaz in the right mood uh, and you never quite know. With VRL I feel like they're just a bit flatter coming into this yeah. kind of and They are champions as well, given that. And VRL won the Europa League. That's yeah,
2: the there you anything, go. Mate. No one watches that. <laughs> <laughs> I, knew, I, knew, I knew as soon as I said that I should have
0: said it. It was one of those, wasn't it? Huge mistake.
2: Uh, absolutely. huge mistake. Say oh. Farmer's League. I'm not, sure, I'm not sure what the Europa League is compared to the Farmer's League.
1: Mm, right, 14th, um, and this is where I have put Salzburg. Uh, they're the first Austrian side to reach the knockout stages, so huge congratulations to them. There's a lot of fun here. There's a lot of excitement here, but this is surely their ceiling. I mean, there's a lot of inexperience, and that probably begins to tell here. As much as it's exciting to see them, and you know we're looking forward to seeing perhaps someone like Karam Adeyemi take on a big gun in February, um, it doesn't feel like they can go much further than this just because of the natural ceiling over their heads. And some people might say, well, how have you got Salzburg above Lille when Lille finished above Salzburg in the group? There's a point in it. Again, it's a much of a muchness. Um, In 13th, I'll take Benfica, who started the season really well, won all their games, and I think have just gone a bit flat. And to be honest, Jack, you may correct me, but I just think they're very clearly the third best team in Portugal.
0: Feels like Um, at the moment, yeah.
1: It does. And, um, you know, the second best team, Porto, actually aren't in this, knockout stage didn't quite make it through because they were in that horrible group with uh, Milan and Liverpool and Atletico Madrid but there's something to be said for the fact that Benfica managed to kind of like the handled Barca really that handled is the right word and they beat Dynamo Kiev in the last game to, to make sure they got through to this point but again that word ceiling comes into play for Benfica at 12 I'll go for Juventus who Whoa. don't feel that threatening, guys? No, I don't. I, don't, yeah, I think this is right. It's weird to say. It's, it's a weird thing to say with a team that Dibala and Chiesa are in it, but this is genuinely where I feel that they should sit. Um, they're a bit negative, as a side, they do like to try and defend one goal leads. So they're not as good defensively as they used to be, so that is a less effective strategy than before. And when Dibala's not fit to play, which is roughly half the time, seemingly they lack a real threat and it's all on Chiesa. And I'm not sure sure if they can really stick it with these guys at the top level anymore. Um, And that's why I've got them down in 12th. Maybe they do something in January to change this and that's part of the intrigue. But right now, I don't think Juventus scare anybody in this list that's above them. And that's probably a good barometer for where they are. I think this is the key point, isn't it? It's about fear factor.
0: And I think there was a sense with Allegri's Juventus the last time round; They were just inevitable. They weren't great to watch, but they were inevitable, especially domestically. And we were talking about this on, on Monday's Patreon podcast. We were talking about the fact that they're not scary anymore. No one's scared of Juventus. And it took that moment, you know, where they went 1-0 up against Venezia and, at the weekend. And suddenly it gets that point where they're like, oh, we'll just win 1-0. And they don't. Right. And and it gets to that point where you look at it and go, if Venezia aren't scared of you, then there's nobody in this list going to be scared of you. And that's no disrespect to Venezia, who are having a a quite extraordinary fun part of their season here in Serie A and are are punching well above their weight in, in many ways. But, you know, none of these sides here would be would be looking at Venezia and thinking we can't beat that side. And Juventus at the moment don't feel like they have that kind of scary element to them. Now, obviously, at the moment, there is injuries. We've seen Paulo Dybala go off again. We've seen Chiesa miss a couple of games. You know, it doesn't feel like it's completely correct. But equally, even when all of them have been fit, Juventus haven't been particularly convincing. And I think this is fair enough. And maybe it's not about, you know, as you said at the start, it's not about who beats who in this round. And this hasn't got anything to do with that. But I fancy Villarreal to beat this Juventus side. If it was this game happened tomorrow, I would back Villarreal to win it. And that doesn't mean that they should be any higher in this list because I don't think that means they're going to go on and win the Champions League. And I think if Juventus sort themselves out a little bit more, they have a, a much better chance of doing that. Although I still think it's an incredible stretch. Um, you know, but we are talking here about a side that I think in their current shape would go out in the round of 16.
2: Yeah, I mean... Two months is a long time um, for Juve to sort themselves out. And ultimately, they've got like a core of a team that was part of winning the Euros in the summer. So, like, we know that they've got that pedigree in there. We know that they've got the game changers in Dibala and, and Chiesa. And we know that they've got the squad depth as well. They're just not coming together right now and Allegri well, as a surprise to all of us really hasn't been able to gel this team in the way that we thought they we were going to even they found that spell where they were getting those one 0 wins and we thought they'd found the rhythm and the pattern and it's fallen away again now in, in January they're going to try and streamline this squad and get rid of some of the fluff they don't need so Aaron Ramsey will be touted around Rabio will be touted around a couple of others will too they need to iron out this squad so they've got just the absolute quality they want and need and try to add one maybe two um faces to just add i guess some competitiveness and a bit more class to the to the squad for not only to try and make sure they can, can compete in the Champions League but obviously they at the moment they don't like they're finishing the top 4 in Italy either so it's a big second half of the season and this will be one of those I think when we get to reevaluating this before the second round they could be big movers you never know
1: Yeah, there's a lot of growth potential here for Juventus. Um, They're probably the first team we've discussed so far who have um, a lot of growth potential. And and just above them in 11th is Atletico Madrid, who also have the ability or the chance at least to do a lot of good work in the next couple of months and massively improve their outlook heading into February. Because it seems, again, strange to say, but Atletico are the defending La Liga champions. And I've got them sat here in 11th and I'm struggling to figure out what exactly has happened to ensure that's the case, they are stuck in a bit of a rut. Um, I'd say they feel like a bit of a shadow of themselves, frankly. And I don't know what they're going to look like in February. But right now, again, like with Juventus, I don't, I don't think that many teams are genuinely scared of Atletico Madrid. Now, I've got them above Juventus, and that is that is very much on purpose. That is by design. I still think that Atletico are more of a head scratcher of an opponent than Juventus would be. I think people would still be be more wary of Atletico than Juventus. But ultimately, I've got two teams here who should be in the top nine at minimum and they're just they're just not so I'm excited to see what they can do over Christmas and January to figure this out
0: yeah absolutely absolutely yeah. it's it's a strange one isn't it because Atleti looked so good this squad looked so strong across the board now maybe they've got too many pieces and the problem is that the pieces are having to be rotated far too much because there are just not enough attacking spots for all the players that Simeone has at his potential and we know that Simeone is not the greatest manager in the world at using. Utilising attacking players, their potential, especially flair players, the likes of Joao Felix, the likes of Mises Cunha, you know, to, who don't necessarily have the world's best work, right? Although Joao Felix is doing his best to change that perception after running around like an absolute lunatic uh, for the <laughs> cameo appearance against Real Madrid at the weekend. Um, there is that kind of element of, whoa, what, what do you do? How do you solve a problem like Atleti? And, and right now, I've said this before and I stand by it, right now they feel like the biggest enigma in Europe. I don't know what's wrong. With Atleti, now, they were quite good, I'll be honest. The performance against Real Madrid at the weekend was relatively impressive, as far as I was concerned. You know, there was talk of Real Madrid steamrolling them. And actually, I thought Atleti were the better side for long periods of the game, especially the first 20 um, and the first 20 of the second half. Basically, before Real Madrid scored both goals in both halves, Atleti were the best, better side, I thought. And, you know, when, when you're looking at that and you think about that kind of performance, especially with the performances that Atleti have been putting in of late, that's something to to hang on to and something to build off now. Does it mean that they can catch up in the title race? No, probably not. But does it mean that they might be able to turn things around by February for this? Very plausibly. And I think that there is something here. It's just a question of making it tick. And you know, at this point, I refuse to doubt Simeone anymore. I don't think he's the best in the world. <laughs> I don't think he is, you know, a manager who suits every player. And I think there are certain issues that you come up against time and time again. But I, you know, I do feel like we we sometimes he's doubted way too much for a manager who's achieved what he has achieved with the squads that he has had at his disposal.
2: Yeah, I mean, I know we're not really talking about the draw much here, but um like Atletico Madrid obviously facing Man United and. They'll be happy with that um, because they'll know it's a winnable game, and I think there were there are a lot of options that they could have got that I don't think they would have fancied. Um, well, they got was, they got
1: one in the first draw, didn't they?
2: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and there was a reason they wanted a redraw. It was because they didn't think that last one was winnable. And they they wanted Man United basically. And look, I think I don't think it's a yeah, given they beat Man United, but you can see why they would see that as a winnable game, and um. You know, we're coming down to a time now as well. Don't forget, there's no um, away goals anymore. So I think that that's going to be an interesting concept change in, in the competition. I'm glad to see it go. To be honest, I think it will make the competition better. Um, do you? Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah, I do. I think it was just outdated. I just didn't feel the need for it anymore. Why did? You, why do you think it was good?
0: Well, I just feel like there is a natural advantage to being at home second now because if it does go to extra time, you therefore get an extra 30 minutes in front of your own fans. I actually would have been in favour of keeping the away goals rule during normal time and binning it during extra time because I've always thought that during that last period, it felt a bit unfair because there's a longer period of time where you can benefit from a rule. Um, But I, I can see why people, I just think that there's, you know something in the fact that the game changes whether you're playing home or away. And and I do agree with you that there are times where it felt outdated. And last year especially, and the year before, where the away goal rules was in effect, despite the fact that the games were being held in neutral or empty stadiums, I thought was absolutely perplexing. But now that fans are back and the effect that they can have, I do think there is something about the away goals rule that does keep these games pretty pretty sharp pretty on their toes and i do think there's there's something that we're going to miss from not having it i don't think it's necessarily the worst thing in the world getting rid of the away goals rule but if it was up to me i would have kept it
1: yeah i, I can see where you're coming from but i think where dean where dean comes from here is, is like it is outdated in that like why was it brought in it was brought in a long long time ago back when our knowledge of like our opponents in terms of like if you were an english team and you were off to go and play partisan belgrade chances are you didn't even know like the names of the players like you had no idea what was happening. And it incentivized teams to come out and play a little bit of football when you go four hours on a plane to a place you've never been before. Yeah. It, was it was a, a genuine knowledge. achievement to score a goal there. Yeah, and all, away in home fixtures used to be in, in like you know 30 years ago in European football. It was like, well, we'll attack at home, we'll defend away and vice versa. And it was like they needed that to bring teams out of their shells a little bit. But the knowledge now is so strong. And I look, there's an undoubted advantage of playing in front of a home crowd. But the game has changed significantly in terms of your ability to prepare for your opponent. So much so that I do think that that away goals rule was a little bit out. Although Jack, you raise a good point about the the extra 30 minutes. Um, it, is a, it is a fair point. Anyway, into the top 10. And this is where I've put Sporting. And I've loved watching Sporting this season and I almost felt a little bit harsh putting them down in 10th. Lowly 10th Sporting, they've been brilliant. But then, look, it's not an exact science and that, but like... This essentially means that, you know, however you kind of swing this and obviously not all of the best clubs are actually present in the Champions League round of 16. But if you've got Sporting in your top 10, that means they're pretty much cemented as like a top 15 club in Europe this season. And that's a proper reality check. Like Sporting, who you know went 19 years without a title, couldn't get into the Champions League as hard as they tried for so long, are in the round of 16, deservedly so, and and are rubbing elbows with some really, really strong teams. And I don't know. I guess as I was writing this out and as I was trying to figure out, you know, who goes where, I was just mostly just like, wow, good on you, Sporting. You've had an exceptional couple of years here to bounce back into this kind of area.
0: Yeah. I mean, also, I mean, what's a club? Well, well run club at the moment. And look, you think back a couple of years and Sporting were in the headlines for all the wrong reasons, right? There was the invasions of the training ground. There was the club president, you know, Inflaming tensions between crowd and, and players and, and fans and all of the above. And suddenly in the last two years, Ruben Amorim's come in, 36 years old, one of the youngest managers you know, in, in the Champions League in, in Europe, really, um, and has completely turned this side around. They lose Bruno Fernandes to Manchester United, who is... The captain, the playmaker, everything goes through Bruno, right? He is the entire heartbeat of this side. And yet, when he leaves, Sporting turn things around and the next season go on and win their first Primera title in, in 21 years. Um, And then they get to the knockout stages of the Champions League for the first time in over a decade, the season following. And Amorim is doing this on with a lot of players that I think it's important to point out here with a lot of players who have come through the Sporting Academy or come through the youth systems. Now, players move around a lot under the age of 18 in, in Portugal, right? And there are... Plenty of examples of players you'll see play for all three of the big three before they reach the age of eighteen, um, and 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 so it's a little bit different, difficult to say everyone is completely homegrown. But these are players who have been brought through the academy into the first team, and we're seeing them go on and do wonderful things. When you when you kind of kind of look at what Sporting Squad is, how much it costs, and. And and look, yesterday I was looking at the the amount of TV revenue that the Portuguese clubs get compared to pretty much everyone else in Europe. And it is minuscule, minuscule. It's such a bizarre thing that the the TV revenues can be so, so different between different countries, especially in the the Champions League. And they're working kind of against the odds, I think, um, in, in so many ways, especially in European competition. And obviously you can hark back to 2003, 2004, when Porto won this, but times changed really fast. I think, in in the footballing sense. And we're, we're looking at a very different landscape to what things looked like 15, 16 years ago. And the Portuguese clubs are always, I think, in, in, in many ways, punching above their weight, purely because I think someone at some point realised that Portugal weren't able to to compete Look, like you only look at you have to look back to sort of 1998 that kind of period where Portugal were not a serious international force and now you look at them and where they rank in the world and all of the above and you're thinking okay this is a very different place and it's because someone decided to invest in youth structures in infrastructures in bringing players through who could change things and it, it's a remarkable achievement that they're in these conversations and I think, look, sporting have, have been such a joy to watch they were so good in those two games um, the last couple the games against Besiktas where they were exceptional and then to beat Dortmund um, in, in that game that really mattered and, and closed this group off I've been so impressed with what Amorim's doing I imagine that him as we say Pedro Gonçalves are all going to be in, in, in massive demand very, very quickly. And ultimately, they're going to have to bring more people through the production line to, to see how this goes. But they only have to look at the team that topped their group in Ajax to see how this can be a structure that works and continues to work for everyone. And long may it continue. Long may it continue.
1: Yeah, just to add quickly on that before we move on, like this is also on the backdrop of a, a real talent drain because of what happened with the tensions between the fans and the and the president and the uh, an invasion of the training ground at one point as well. They lost a load of players for free, more or less, um, due to contractual disputes. You know, Rafa Leal left, uh, went to Lille, and Rui Patricio left, and Sporting actually lost quite a few really important players there before they even lost Bruno Fernandes, just to like contractual disputes because of the of what had happened and. They've managed to fight back from all of that and filled a completely different lineup, integrate a load of youth, find a great manager and, uh, and rip the script up a little bit. But we'll move into the top 10 here properly. And I'm going to just go through nine and eight together because, they again, they feel pretty similar in the same way that Atletico and Juve ended up sort of hovering around that 11th, 12th place together. Manchester United in ninth and PSG in eighth both have that same huge growth potential between now and February so United feel a lot like that Atletico kind of where are we what are we doing are we on the right track are we not they're quite hard to gauge I think ninth feels about right for them I look down the list and I think I'd probably back them to beat just about you know VRL, Salzburg, Benfica and then probably like Maybe Atletico and Juve is a very even game. Sporting becomes a very even game as well. There's the Ronaldo factor. They do tend to grind these games out, even if they may look second best. So United in ninth and PSG in eighth. Um, I don't know what they're going to look like in February. Um, Again, it's that question of, is the last couple of weeks where they've actually looked pretty good? Um, The performance against Club Bruges on match day six in the Champions League was really strong, really conjoined. And they've just beaten Monaco on Sunday night as well. Is this a renaissance or is it a coincidence? Is it something more or is it something to ignore? I, I don't know yet because I refuse to be swept off my feet by two good weeks when I've just watched the last three months of PSG. But it's an intriguing conversation there to be had. And I do wonder if they may be finding something in the absence of Neymar, which is a super awkward conversation to have for Pochettino when Neymar returns. And obviously he'll be, he'll be fit and ready to go for February. So uh, yeah, we'll have to see. But United and PSG... I think there are final what will they look like in February? I don't know, huge growth potential clubs. We've got four of them there. Four that are just total question marks. Absolute jokers in the pack. I don't really agree with this
2: because I think there are six favourites to win the competition. Four of them are the English clubs. And there's Bayern Munich and PSG. Like I just think that it's been since day one. Like they're the they're the six clubs I've been looking at as like that's where the winner is coming from. So I can kind of understand it, like, given the performances we've seen and how flaky both of these teams can be. Um, On talent level, you're right. Yeah. And that's but, the thing, and I think that's what it comes down to now. Because we're in the knockouts, I expect these teams to rise. Um, you know, in the in the groups, you know, both of them, well, PSG are probably better than United, but... United's performances obviously weren't convincing, but it was a different era now. Like we can forget about what United did in the group stages because it it doesn't matter. That's not Man United anymore. Um, So I almost think you press reset on it and and kind of look at their overall picture of what the squad is, what the manager is, what do we expect from them? And I think they're in the top six in in terms of likelihood of winning this. Yeah, I would agree with you at the start of the year. I would have agreed with you at the start of the year,
0: but I, I. Do you think that I you can look at I'd look at Ajax, I look at Inter Milan, and I look at Real Madrid, and look at the way that they've performed, the way that they're performing generally, domestically as well, and no way on earth can I put PSG or Manchester United ahead of any of them in terms but of you, any. So sort you of genuinely think right
2: that there's more chance of Ajax winning the Champions League than Man United or PSG? The, the Man United 100%, the
0: PSG less so. But it's the, an, incorrect answer. Dude, it's an well, incorrect answer. It's not because we saw Ajax seconds away from the Champions League final a couple of years back. I think this side is. Did they get winner's medal for well, I mean, to be fair, when was the last <laughs> time Manchester United picked up a winner's medal? It's 12 years ago. We just said the complete landscape of football has changed. Um, and, and we're looking at that going, you know, uh, right now, I think that Ajax would beat Man United straight up 100%. Um, I think Inter Milan would. I think the Real Madrid would. I think that... And look at where we are. In terms of where we are in February, I expect these standings to be slightly different, right? But if we're looking at this right now, I don't think you can put these two teams above any of the ones mentioned in terms of their performance levels or what we've seen from them throughout the season so far in either a domestic or a European sense. There's nothing to prove to me that that's happened.
2: You know, I mean... Uh, it's all. But look, this is the best thing about football is it's all about opinions, and we can't really be proved right either way right now. But like, Ajax have a very different um, setup at the start of their season in terms of what they're aiming for and what their conditions are for success. Manchester United and PSG have the complete opposite. Like, there's a like PSG literally have to win the league, or or it's a failure. Man United have to be in the conversation to win the league, or it's a failure, as Solskjaer's found out um and obviously Ajax do too and at the moment I don't think they're even winning the league as it stands but yeah they will win the league like Ajax will win the league this season and but the Champions League is where they make their mark like this is what this is what the club's become about so I I just think the conditions are slightly different and I just don't think that Ajax are as strong as as these two teams but like you say like from what we've seen so far I'm wrong I, I understand that but so I don't the problem think here is that generally. the
1: problem here is that PSG have absolutely just worn me down for the last three months. Like I'm just, oh, I, just I don't every, enjoy watching PSG. Every all, time I, I watch them, I'm just like, why are you not ten times better? Yeah, it's frustrating and, watching them, and it is so difficult for me to sit there and put them in like a top six position when, on a weekly or biweekly basis, I sit there and just be like, this ain't it. This, this just ain't it. And like the the teams above from here, so we're now into into seventh place and above. All of these teams are teams. They, they are. They're, they're, they're teams. They have an identity. They have a cohesiveness. They look like they know exactly what they're supposed to be doing on the pitch. And that's what makes them a little bit better than everybody else, uh, in my opinion anyway. And, and I'll go to number seven, and this is where I put Inter, um, which is a very well put together side. They've got a really tough round of 16 draw, but you never know with this team. And Zaghi's done an amazing job building off the the Conte base. They've really stepped it up over the last month. They finished second in their group. So I think this is the, this is the second highest second place finisher, but they were in a tough group and they got edged out on the final match day. And I think they're a force to be reckoned with, so to be honest with you, insa And. Um, Yes, they're underdogs for the Liverpool game. Absolutely. But they are a rough draw for a top seed in Liverpool. And, and I don't think the, the Reds would be too happy with that. i moved just into a couple more. Ajax in six. I've been propping them up as a top five team for weeks. And I wrote the list down and somehow I've let them slip to sixth. I'm not exactly sure that how that happened. They had a perfect group stage. air scored 10. I think Anthony and Masraoui were the best right side in the tournament over the six games. But... I guess to explain this properly, really, we then link in number five. And this is where I've put Real Madrid. So Madrid five, Ajax six, and it's a recent swing. It is a recent swing. But there's just, Madrid have just been on this run recently and they've been incredible. And I just look at them and I see a team who win. They just win, don't they? I mean, they don't always play well. Christ, they, they often don't play well, to be honest with you. But if you've got two attackers... In the form that Vinicius Jr. and Karen Benzema are in. You've got this midfield three, you've got Alaba and Militao in this form and Courtois and goal. There ain't a lot of teams that are going to be able to beat you. And especially in this Champions League setting, there's something about Real Madrid, isn't there? There's something about them. And I've been wooed, I must admit, I've been I've been I've been swayed into putting them into the top five when I thought for sure that Ajax would be there, but I've just popped them in ahead. So that's Real Madrid at five, Ajax at six, and Inter Milan at seven.
0: Yeah, I mean, Rama did feel
1: inevitable at the moment, don't they? There, There mm. is that real sense of, we're
0: just going to win. And it's been perhaps missing um, at the Benneberg for a, for a couple of years, right? Where, where there was a couple of years in the wilderness. Not that they didn't win anything, but that it wasn't quite as, well, just, just, Obvious, I suppose. Um, and, and it feels like this year Real Madrid are just back in a spot where you know Militao and, and Alaba have become a really wonderful defensive partnership who feel like they're not going to concede. Courtois is a man on a mission um, and probably the form keeper in the world right now, I, I would suggest. He just just feels like you can't get past him. You go out wide, and you're looking at, at Fela Mondi, who's who's made that spot his own, and, and Daddy Carvajal who's having his own little renaissance. I enjoy how he keeps turn, like popping up up front uh, during <laughs> counter attacks. It's bizarre. Um, and then you know, there's this midfield three who just are ageless and timeless, aren't they? And yeah. it, it's it's really intriguing that. Camavinga's come in. The the Valverde has been, you know, given the release clause that he's been given and kind of promised the future and the keys to the Bernabeu you know, by himself. And yet neither of them can still break the spell that these three hold over the centre of the park there. And look, it, Kroos and Modric. Casemiro is Casemiro, right? Casemiro does what Casemiro does every single time and he's never really fallen away from it. But I think there were questions over whether Kroos and Modric could continue to control games in the way that they used to and be able to come up with those moments of magic. And those questions have been fundamentally answered this season. The two of them just feel... Uh, Rolls Royces in there and no one could get near them. It, it, it's intriguing to watch Real Madrid because even when they're not playing well, one of these two pops up with the answer and I know it's Benzema and Vinicius getting the headlines and I know it's the you know, those stories that are, are coming out about the fact that they used to have this relationship where Benzema was like
1: don't pass the ball to Vinicius,
0: etc. Well, you et keep
1: mentioning it for well, a start. I do, so I, so I keep making it.
0: It's, it's very important, right, to talk yeah. about re- look redemption arcs, part of my, part of my thing, right? Mm. Um, and, and this is a redemption arc. And But mm. it does come up and, and then you, look at it and you think this two these two playing together now and, and watching them just kind of interlink and Vinicius finally find the kind of finishing touch that had been missing from the magic up to this point. And you know what fair play to Real Madrid for the faith that they showed in Vinicius, you know, as a youngster, yes, he was a a prodigiously talented youngster, but that doesn't always work out, right? There are plenty of prodigiously talented youngsters knocking around in the lower echelons of, of, of top leagues who haven't quite made the grade to where we were expected or even below Vinicius jr. There was a lot of pressure on those shoulders. He came in and for ages, he was, well kind of mocked I think by a lot of people for not having the the finishing touch for just being all show and, and no kind of well no end product and this year has exploded into one of the most dynamic exciting players to watch in Europe and you mark that with Benzema's kind of faith and, and constancy and the ability to, he has to just put the ball in the back of the net and create things and and be that kind of link-up player and it, it, it's amazing, but it is those midfield three for me that, that continue to set the pace and set the tone. And, and right now, Real Madrid feel
1: so, so, so smooth. So a couple of things to just watch, watch out for here between now and February with Real Madrid is that it's like, now obviously they have, they have incredible footballers and, and great finishers. So this isn't particularly abnormal, but they are way overperforming their expected goals, like way, way, way over. And it's the sort of run statistically that if you didn't know it was Real Madrid, if you didn't know it was Benzema, if you didn't know it's Vinicius Jr. in this form, you would suggest can't carry on. And you watched them in some of these games recently, second best for periods against Atletico, second best for most of the game against Sevilla, but they won them. Those are the performances that don't necessarily match up to the results. So it's just, I'm not really criticizing them for it, to be honest with you, but um, I just say it's something to watch. We're talking about four teams below them there PSG, Man United, Atletico, Juve, with a lot of room for growth between now and February. I'd say Real Madrid, and again, not really that much of a criticism, may have the most room to just drop down a level or two between now and February, but I don't know what will happen.
0: Yeah. Uh, that's, that's fair enough. I, I mean,
1: yeah, Madrid. Madrid deserve to be fifth just because they've
2: got Vinicius yeah. Junior, who's the most entertaining player in the world right now. Like, <laughs> it's just like a highlight reel, isn't he? Every time he gets the ball, he's just doing something ridiculous to do to yeah. people. Like, it's horrible. Yeah. Like the prospect of who's going to be marking him? Yeah, whoever's
1: <laughs> marking him. Like, no, thank you. No, thank yeah. you. Well, into number four then, and this does feel a little bit low for the reigning champions, but this is where Chelsea land. It's again, it's. They've occupied. I think they've occupied top spot in the Premier League for longer than any other club has in this season, and they are the reigning champions. They were crowned champions back in May, so for fourth does feel a bit odd. But we're ranking them as we sit here right now in mid-December, and right now they're in a little bit of a wobble. Now that is completely explainable. They have a Liverpool-style injury crisis in one specific position. All of their central midfielders can't play football. Uh, They're having to find solutions on the fly. They are getting some results as a result of that, but they are also conceding goals. They've conceded eight in their last three, which is uh, quite a lot. It's more than they have conceded in all the games up until that point. Um, but it's explainable. That said, I can't just like brush it off and ignore it and say, well, no, just put them second, because right now they are in a little bit of an injury crisis. They do feel a little bit weaker than they should do. And they are feeling the loss of Ben Chilwell as well. So again, between now and February, maybe Chelsea stake a claim for one of those top two spots even and, and, and reassert themselves. But in the little weird kind of battle we've got with this top three English teams, Chelsea do actually feel like the third strongest in that little cluster, which I would not have said this time last month.
0: Yeah. There's a real kind of moment, isn't it? But, you know, and, and we can blame, well, we're not blaming it on anything. Blaming is the wrong word, but there is feasibility in that. This is an injury crisis, right? And again, we talked do it by a bit on one day, but, Chelsea's midfield injury crisis is a real problem at the moment and it's, it's, it's impacting directly on the defensive elements of this team. Now, this team was built on solidity uh, and the fact that they didn't concede money, they won a lot of games 1-0 last year, right? They, they literally eked out results um, and, and made plenty of... of games tight and, and, and difficult and uncomfortable. And yet they got it done because they were so good. Now they've conceded more than half of their goals for the season in December, which is not great. If, if you're looking at where you're, you know, where you're kind of falling apart in a little, in a little blip. Well, you could um, say it
2: was like the most ridiculous defensive record you could have imagined up to that point though as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely, but that's what it was built on, right? This is it was it wasn't like it was an unsustainable defensive record because it was so you know it was so well put together and, and, ex- and sometimes expected
1: goals against figures were ridiculously low. Yeah. They were consistently like naught point four, naught point three, naught point two.
0: So, you know, you're looking at a side who were defensively incredibly cohesive. They were watertight in so many ways. Now, without the the midfield have, being able to to cover them, we've seen that fall apart a little bit in, in recent weeks. Um, now, do I think that will come back? Yes, I think it will be fine. And I think that Chelsea will go on to, to kick on and, and have a good second half of the season. But on the whole, you know, this at the moment, they definitely do feel like the third strongest, British side, I think, and and mm. you can only take this on what we're seeing right now. As, as we said with kind of everything else, Chelsea threw away top spot in this group. Yes, they've got lucky with the draw um, twice, um, but <laughs> when you when you look at it and you you think that you know this is a Chelsea side who who conceded eight goals in three games when you know and then they concede a last minute goal in in the Zenit game to hand top spot to Juventus and all of the above. Right, we're looking at a team that doesn't quite feel as as watertight as it did before and, and therefore I think I completely agree with this Sam.
1: Yeah, yeah and into the top three here this is, this is actually one of the toughest ones to place not in terms of where to go one to 16 but Bayern Munich in third we all agree Bayern are top five we, we, we probably all agree that Bayern are top three but where in the top three or the top five, do you put them? And honestly, I've settled for third. I can accept and entertain arguments for second, maybe even first, maybe I could go as low as fifth. They really do feel like, obviously they're really good, but how good? And it's difficult. It's genuinely difficult to figure it out because you don't have this comparison point yet. That's the beauty of the round of 16 in the quarterfinals is Bayern probably end up meeting one of these teams, at Chelsea, a Man City, a Liverpool, a Real Madrid. And you get a really good comparison point for exactly where they are. But until that point, it is a little bit of speculation. It's a little bit of guesswork. And I think what has made me hold and back from the top two, and it, these are fine margins, it's that they don't have one of the best managers in the world. They do have one of the future best managers in the world, but he's not quite there yet. And their centre-back pairing is just a little bit more prone to implosion than the others. And that's it. That's the deciding factor. That's all I can really pick at with Bayern Munich. And that's why they've ended up as third.
2: Yeah, I mean, last season it was like, they're going to win it. They're going to win it. They're going to win it. Like, they are the best team in Europe. They didn't win it. And and this season, you're looking at them, and you don't have that quite, they don't have that inevitability about them that that they did then. Um, But, you know, we're at the stage of the season when perhaps that doesn't matter too much. Um, They'll grow and, and get stronger. Obviously the fact that Nagelsmann's there is a bit of an unknown. Like I'll be convinced that Nagelsmann could can manage them through this period and like through What's going to be, you know, a difficult set of fixtures, whoever they get from here to the run into the final, if they were to get there, like some big games to come, some big tests for him. And often he doesn't come through those tests when faced with them so far, albeit not with the quality of player he's had at his right now. So it's, there's a lot of unknowns there, as well as the fact that, you know, we know that Lewandowski can deliver if he's fit. And, you know, the, the core of this side is perfectly capable of winning the Champions League. At the moment, I think third is probably right for what
1: we've seen. Hmm. yeah I, all right yeah, good I I'm glad you agree Dean and I'll move into the top two and it's the it's the two English teams and uh, I'm sure people have figured that out as we've gone through that it would be uh, it would be these two but I guess the order is it's a pickem, isn't it it's a bit of a 50-50 at points but at number two I have placed Liverpool so it's another team like Ajax and like Bayern Munich who have, have gone six for six in the group they've been perfect and it's funny because when we talk about the Premier League title race and we talk about these three teams uh, in the Premier League title race and we're looking for for reasons to decry them, we're looking for you know nitpicking little reasons here and there to try and find edges that other teams might have. In Premier League parlance, that's AFCON. Liverpool are going to be hurt by the Africa Cup of Nations. They're going to lose Mane and Salah and Nadekater if he's fit. That doesn't apply to the Champions League. It just doesn't. By, the, by February, they'll be clear. They'll have the best players in the world back in their team. They'll have the best player in the world this season back in their team. And look, I love the variation to their attack. I love the fact that they can go down the right and link with Trent and Salah. They can go down the left and use Robertson. They've got good dominance in the central areas. They've got an incredibly solid defensive line once again with Virgil van Dijk in there. Thiago's come on a level. Fabinho is still brilliant. There's not There's not a weakness to pick out here for Liverpool in a Champions League context. There really isn't. And so for them to be second means that number one has to be basically perfect. And I think that's maybe what Man City have achieved so far this season. Pep Guardiola's Man City. They do. They feel like the strongest team in Europe for me right now. And that's a very simple formula for putting them top. Who do I think is the best team? It's City. Incredible depth, brilliant system. Some of the best players in the world in, in just ludicrous form. We're talking Cancelo and Bernardo there, but a couple more and more than anything as well. The football they play is absolutely unreal. Now, there is nothing, almost nothing, between City and Liverpool, in my opinion. And it really is like flipping a coin at points. But I'll take City. Me, personally, I think they look like the strongest team in Europe.
2: Yeah, yeah I think so. I mean, look, they are, the, they are the best football team in Europe. Now, if you were to get everyone at their very best, then then Man City are the best team. Obviously, there's the fact that they've never won the Champions League that, that goes against them here, whereas, whereas Liverpool have got A history of going on and winning the Champions League I think it does count for something I I really do I think that having that knowledge in your head of of like we are a team that wins this competition or oh no we this is where we fell short I do think those little fragilities can get into the mind and and play play games as you get deep into this competition and so I do worry about Man City in that sense once we're at semi-final stage but like you say like we can't you know, that's just guesswork and for what we're seeing on the pitch right now Man City have got it all and you know the, the guys they always have somebody that steps forward right for for Liverpool most of the time I know it sounds pretty harsh because they're a great football team but they are quite reliant on Mo Salah stepping forward and providing like a perfect penalty a match winning you know cuts side, bends when it whatever it is Mo Salah usually can be relied on to provide that moment of magic. And it's not always him, but most of the time it is. With Man City, it's a bit more varied. It might be Canicello, it might be Bernardo, it might be Raheem Sterling, Kevin De Bruyne if he comes back into form, or whoever it is. Like They kind of rotate that responsibility of stepping up. And I think that probably is what, what gives them the edge here. Although, as you say, there really isn't a lot between these sides. And if they were to play each other ten times in a season,
1: they'd probably win five each. Like I, I really don't think there's anything between them. They're almost perfect. They're yeah. perfectly built teams. Like yeah. two, the two best managers in the world, for my money, with the two best squads or best elevens in the world. You know, it's it's just there's not a lot to pick between them. What a yeah. glorious situation to be in for an English football fan. I mean, the fact they watch. lost to
2: PSG. Is a little concerning for Man City because they, they shouldn't have lost that game. No, no they it was did a lose it was that
1: ridiculous game. game.
2: But that's Man Bernardo City. Bernardo missed the Champions from two
1: yards, Dean. I they know. And this is Man City in an the Champions right?
2: League, isn't it? This is the difference between City and the Premier and City in the Champions League is those things tend to happen to them in the Champions League. Whereas Liverpool, if you were to put, at like, you had a lot of money, in like UK, you even put this on Man City or Liverpool, I would probably go Liverpool because I just. Can rely on them a bit more, and I'd be waiting for Man City to do something stupid like that Bernardo miss yeah. to mess it up. Yeah. That's where I'm at.
1: Yeah, no, I get you. Get
0: I would have. I would have put Liverpool top as well, purely because. Uh, as you say, Sam, there is nothing between them as far as I'm concerned. If they meet each other, I have a... It's just a thing that Liverpool have City's number a little bit. Um, they're the only club, I think, in the world <laughs> that really feel like they have City's number a bit at the moment. Um, even Chelsea, who obviously had a couple of good results against them last year, struggled against against City this season. And it, it did feel in, in some ways that just that that difference of, of Liverpool having been there and done that. And look, when it got to the end of this competition last year, I said City were the best team in the competition and probably should win it. This was the opportunity. Um, and they didn't, right? They didn't get that over the line. Now, obviously, it's a game, a one-off game in knockout football anything can happen. It's very hard to, to use it as a barometer of who's the best team in where because weird things happen in knockout football. You know, but as, as Dean said, he thought Bayern were the best side, then Lewandowski got injured, then they got knocked out by PSG. Things, things like that happen. Um, but when you're looking at this in, in that kind of response, I thought that City were the, the better side and, and last year and, and didn't do it. And for that reason, there's just that thing that hangs over them. And considering it's so tight between them and, and Liverpool, I would argue that Liverpool's calibre in this competition therefore gives them the slight edge. But as you say, there's nothing in it. That well, really would really just war. be the
2: way I'd have it round. I'm just looking at the stats from when they actually played each other in October. And it was obviously Liverpool 2, Man City 2. It um, went 1-0, 1-1, 2-1, 2-2. And the stats, OK, Man City did have, they have more shots than Liverpool in that game. But possession was 48-52. Passes, 501, 529. Like Usually, you're not getting kind of that kind of levelling. Uh, pass accuracy, eighty four percent Liverpool, eighty three percent Man City. Even like yellow cards, three each. Like everything's the same. Like this is two teams like that are just pretty much right there, and it's almost that a mistake is going to cost them. Like this is what we've said before. Like it's it's the the little things that you can't expect in a game. Look at Chelsea. You're talking about the things that the way that they've started to crumble defensively in the part in recent weeks. Well. A lot of that has come down to individual error as well, whether it's uh, Mendy and Gull, whether it's Jorginho trying to bring a ball down against Man United and Sancho scores, whether it's um, Alonso giving the ball away. Little things like that can creep in and they start to skew the stats and they cost you games. And Ultimately, you'd imagine that's what's going to happen to either Liverpool or Man City, to not win it rather than they get overrun by somebody.
1: Mm, Absolutely. I don't think it's possible to overrun either of these teams. No so yeah forget that one for sure but hey there it is um, nice. that's the well, ranking
2: we'll see how we it compares in uh, Feb I'm mm, oh, looking, um,
0: looking forward to revisiting it already
2: um, here we are here we are <laughs> we've got
0: a, a little, little matter of a, of a transfer window and AFCON to get through before, before all that kicks off but um, we will get there right after the break we're going to be taking a brief look at the Europa League and the Europa Conference League before we move on to Melon of the Week and our gibberish rankings stay with us <laughs> welcome back to ranks fc where we're going to be turning our focus from the champions league and thank you again to sam for such a wonderful ranking to the europa league and the europa conference league which as many of you will know are competitions very close to my heart before we do that though i just want to talk very briefly about cause which has touched all three of us in recent days one of our ultras ben messaged us with a first-hand account of the tragic destruction which has wreaked havoc on his town and various other towns in western kentucky and and we felt compelled to share some of the relief causes that are happening across the states have been devastated by the outbreak of tornadoes over there so we've put a link in the description of this podcast for anyone that feels they want to try and lend a hand to the communities torn apart by events this weekend in the midwest to anyone listening in anywhere affected please know that our thoughts are with you in what must be an incredibly difficult time and that we hope there is light at the end of the tunnel and that listening has helped to take your mind off things too Welcome back to ranks FC where it's time to take a little look at the Europa league and Europa conference league draws that happened yesterday. We're not going to go through with the same fine tooth comb uh, that Sam has done because of the way that this competition has set up a little bit differently. And some of you will know that the, Format of the both the Europa League and the Europa Conference League, obviously the Europa Conference League is new, but has changed this year and they are now, they work on the same format, which is the teams who finish third in the competition above, so the Champions League for the Europa League and the Europa League for the Conference League drop down to play in a playoff against the teams who finish second in the group, while the teams who win their group go straight through to the last 16. It's quite an exciting system, actually. And I actually think it improves. The competition is quite a fun way of doing things and it does give the teams who finish second who then play at home in the second leg of those games a little bit of an advantage against teams who are dropping down from a higher competition which is a nice kind of element to things I reckon so that's, that's my money it's a it's a good change for the Europa League and a nice format for the conference league I'm going to do two mini rankings that basically wrap both into each other we're going to do a best narratives ranking and a best matchups ranking so we'll start start with narratives. Um, And at three in the Europa League, I've gone for Borussia Dortmund against Rangers. Now, there's a lot of players who have played for both clubs, but I think the the best narrative here is that Gio Reyna is going to be playing against the man he was named after in Giovanni van Bronckhorst, um, who obviously played for Rangers with his father, Claudio Arena. Um and well, you know, and then he was born and he was they were very good friends. And so Gio was named after Giovanni Van Bronckhorst, who is now the Rangers manager, of course. Um, so not only is there this kind of element of a couple of players who've, who've done both sides, and also this is going to be a game, I think, with an incredible atmosphere in both legs. Obviously, Rangers trying to return to you know a high point of of European football and Borussia Dortmund will feel like they have a point to prove after being dropped out of the Champions League relatively unceremoniously by sporting. Um, and so I think that the atmosphere in this is going to be incredible, but I am hanging my hat on the Gio the Reyna part of this story, which I nice. think is, is great fun. Um, At two, we're going to drop in to the Europa Conference League briefly to talk about the fact that Maccabi Tel Aviv are playing PSV. Uh, in a game that I'm calling the Aaron Harvey Derby.
2: Uh, <laughs> now,
0: Aaron Harvey is PSV striker. He is Israeli. He has scored... 15 or so goals in 37 games for PSV. He's got a relatively good strike record. He goes back to the club where he was made club captain uh, in 2015-16. Um, he has a, a wonderful history. Uh, Maccabi, his strike rate was absolutely ludicrous for them. Uh, he scored nearly 100 goals in 120-odd games. Um, so it was a, a player who, who had won the hearts of his club. Uh, and then he went off to China for a couple of years and, and disappeared off the map and returned at PSV. So for him to to go back to the club where he was club captain um, and is a, a real cult hero, um, I, I think is a, is a magical narrative and and something that maybe will have gone a little bit under the radar in in the kind of big draws that happened yesterday. So I'm a big fan of that PSV Maccabi Tel Aviv game. Um, on top of the list of the best narratives could only be one. Barcelona dropping into the Europa League and drawing Napoli in a game given to us by Diego Maradona from the heavens, I believe. Uh, Barcelona travelling to the Stadio Diego Armando Maradona to play in this, their first Europa League game in, well, game in the second tier of European competition in nearly 20 years. it's something pretty remarkable and um, for it to be at the Maradona against Napoli, two heavyweights and two mythical clubs of European competition, I think is just absolutely remarkable and kind of the draw that everyone wanted to see in, in many ways. Um, I think we looked at it and went, you know, as soon as Napoli came out of the hat, you were like, go on. Give him Barcelona. Give them Barcelona. <laughs> comes out and you go right. Absolutely fantastic. It, a magical, magical moment.
1: So it is the yeah. tie that you want to see. As part of you goes, I want to see it later. But then there's no, there's no guarantees in this competition. You can't be like, no, 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 no. Save that for the semi final. Save that for that. That's not how it works. If you want to see a tie, you need to get it drawn out of the hat asap.
0: Also, the Europa League is constantly competing, you know, for kind of airtime and space with the Champions League, as, as we see, right? And, and you need games like this, big kind of headline games, in order to draw people in. Because the Europa League is a wonderful competition in its own right. Obviously, you don't mean me to tell you that. Um, but it, it's one of those things where if the games tend to be, you know, Barcelona drawing smaller teams and, and progressing through, no one pays any attention until the quarterfinals and semifinals. Whereas getting this in a knockout playoff round before we even get, to the last 16 is a massive draw for the competition. and I think that's got to be a good yeah, thing.
1: I think so. We got lucky last year, didn't, didn't, didn't we, with Europa League because Man United dropped in and they drew Milan immediately. And after that, they took on, I'm forgetting who it was, Jack, but it was another big one, wasn't it? wasn't it? I, uh, was they, the took on they took on Roma. They took on Roma. Roma and then um, Ajax.
0: No, no, Roma beat Ajax. Yeah, you're
1: absolutely right. Yeah, and then they took, took on. So you've got Man United Milan. Like Man United Roma immediately, it's such a draw. It's so good for Thursday nights. It's a it's
0: a relatively impressive thing. And look, there's there's lots going to go on. And I think especially when we get to the. the the round where obviously the teams have already qualified, especially even in the conference league where, you know, in the group stages, there's a lot of unknown quantities, right? Like a a massive amount. And that's what the the conference league is about. It's about giving opportunities to, to clubs who might not have had that opportunity before, but also then we kind of flip back to actually where this is, you know, when it gets to the Europa conference league, knockout stages into the last 16, there are going to be teams in there that people know and 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 are well aware of. And that will, you know, give itself some some kind of well, so it's prestige as well in, in, in that regard. And you're talking about your Leicesters, you're talking about PSV and, and, and those kind of clubs. These are a massive kind of ties for and massive draws for the competition and can only be a good thing, I think, in terms of making people watch. So um, there are those elements. Um, and with that, I'm going to shift on to best matchups. Uh, and at three, we're going to start in the Europa League again. And we're going for RB Leipzig against Real Sociedad. Now, nice. That's a massive tie. That's a massive tie. And I think that when you, we talk about Leipzig and their bad start to the season, right, and we're looking at where, how they came about and what it all came through and wh- where things happened, you know, and, and, and then obviously Jesse Marsh was sacked. And since then, they've been on a little bit of a charge themselves. And actually, if Leipzig had got through, if they'd been in a weaker group in the Champions League and they'd scraped through in the way that perhaps an athletic did, right? Um, then you'd be looking at Leipzig in that ranking beforehand, Sam, as a team with massive growth potential from here until February because there's so much that felt untapped about this Leipzig side. And look, we love Jesse, but it just didn't work out in terms of matchups. Maybe it needed time. Maybe it needed a a different style. We don't know. But ultimately, you know, we're, we're looking at Leipzig as a side who are underperforming to this point. Now, Real Sociedad, a couple of weeks back, we were looking at it as a league of title contenders, right? Now, they were always going to fall away from that, we think. We always thought that there probably wasn't enough depth in this squad to, to carry through a genuine charge. But I'd imagine they're still going to be in the European conversation. There's still an incredible side and, and, and taking Leipzig to Anoeta and to... Uh, a competition or uh, well, stadium which will love this competition and really, really uh, thrive on being in European competition, I think is an amazing tie. Um, and I'm really, really excited to see, well, to see what that one throws up. It's a, it's, and a it's really the Alexander Serlot derby. It is the Alexander <laughs> Serlot derby, correct. Well done. Very, very well done. Um, at number two, I'm going to move down to the Conference League again. Um, and I'm going to look at Butter Glimped against Celtic. Now, Better Glimped are two time. Norwegian champions. Now, last year, they sprung a bit of a shock on everyone by going and winning the league. Um, but arguably, I think this is more impressive. Their second title, they lost a couple of key players um, after that title win. The teams around them, the kind of traditionally strong teams, got stronger and, and Better Glimp held on and went and won another title, went back to back um, in, in obviously a very difficult scenario and a very difficult situation for everyone. But you know, for especially for smaller clubs to try and stay on top, and they keep defying the odds. But a glimpse, obviously, then they went and, and beat Roma or battered Roma uh, in the group stages of this competition. They had the opportunity to win the group, they failed to take it. They're not infallible by any stretch of the imagination, but they are a very, very good side. And on their day. You know as good as anyone Celtic on the other hand are a kind of still working out exactly where they are under Postecoglou. the signs are good there are some lovely things going on that relationship between Kyogo Furuhashi and Jota V3 is a, a very special one um, and we're seeing some really really nice stuff from Celtic at times but it's not consistent yet and I just think by February this has the real uh, the potential to be a really really intriguing tie uh, obviously European Nights under the lights at Parkhead wherever competition it's in uh, are, are very special and, and have a real real atmosphere about them and i'm really excited to see how this one pans out um obviously that first leg at parkhead is going to be massive because to go to birdo in, in the second leg you're going to need something to hang on to um and yeah I'm, I'm intrigued to see how that one plays out um on top of this list and probably the best game in either competition i think porto versus lazio feels incredibly nicely balanced and, and lazio have been Strangely poor um, at times under Mauricio Sarri this year. Um, and yet you look at this squad, you look at the calibre that it has and the fact they're still changing and, and moving away from that kind of Inzaghi ball towards what Sarri would want to play. Again, you're looking at a, a kind of Lazio in February as an intriguing prospect to see how, if they can finally make that work. Porto, on the other hand, will be upset that they've dropped down from the Champions League. It's a competition where they've made a mark. Uh, into latter stages in in recent years obviously locked out Juventus last year and made all that happen but you go back and you go right okay the last competition they won in Europe was actually the UEFA Cup the year after that Champions League um, and you take to, to what that is and what it means and you think that Porto you're looking at this and going you're probably one of the stronger sides in this competition now there's a real chance that Porto go on and, and go deep into this competition if they want to um, you know we've seen them do it in Champions League can they drop down a level and make and get that over the line and push for an actual trophy I, I think they can so to, to get them up against Lazio. In a, in a first round in a playoff round is a big test of one how seriously are going to take this and two if they really want to kick on and, and, and make a mark in this competition how they how they can make their mark early doors so I'm, I'm intrigued by this and I think you know Barcelona and Napoli is the headline tie in terms of names and narrative but actually in terms of football spectacle I think this one might be right up there with just as good a game.
2: Mm. Who's favourites to actually win the Europa League?
0: Well, I'd imagine the answer is Barcelona, but I, yeah. I don't actually. Know. Well, they're not
2: though, are they? Like they, 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 they not, will they. be with with bookmakers, but like, who do you think is actually like, like your? Dortmund version, must I guess, be a real shout a, here.
1: Hey, Dortmund must be a proper
2: shout here. Yeah, I'm just. It's got to be. I mean, it's such. It's very, very competitive. I mean, possibly more competitive than the Champions League in a way. Like, there's such quality. I mean, it also depends on like which sides really. Um, prioritize the competition I mean we, we know like in England some teams when they drop down they still like don't take it that seriously I think do you think we're the only country left that does that? Probably, yeah.
0: Probably. And I actually think that they're obviously the teams who from England haven't dropped down, so the teams in it from England, obviously West Ham are the, the only team left in, in that regard, will be taking this incredibly seriously. They're fifth favourite. So it's Dortmund, Sevilla, Atalanta, Barcelona, West Ham, Leipzig, Napoli, Leon, then Leverkusen. I, I fancy Leverkusen to have a real go at this, you know. They're a bit all over the place and they're a bit chaotic, um, but I do think that there's a real sense that in Europe they have felt that they can blow teams away. Um, and, they, and they did so. They won a very, very difficult group um, that could qualify automatically. If Leverkusen, obviously, we don't know what the draw will be when it gets to that last 16. If Leverkusen get a favourable draw first couple of rounds and they can ease themselves into it,
1: I, I fancy them to, to make a real mark on this. There's 10 teams there. 10, ten like... You can win this team. Yeah, that's what I was Big thinking. Time. Yeah, it
2: actually is more competitive, isn't it? Because even though you're, you know, the top ten for the Champions League is strong. Technically, they can all win it. But
1: mm. those ten, like, there's not a lot between them. And for the record, just and to then you drop this, down I'm, underneath
0: that: Monaco, Real Sociedad, Lazio, Real Betis are third in in La Liga. Frankfurt just beat Leverkusen five two. Then you're talking Zenit, Galatasaray. These are teams that you know can you know if they get through. Obviously, this is a, a first tricky bit, but. You know, you're looking at teams who can really make a difference, and some traditional European giants, like Galatasaray, right? Who you, you don't want to go to Gala, not on a lead, right? You're not going to, you're not going to fancy that in a two-legged knockout tie to, to have to go, and with that atmosphere and the, the kind of intimidating atmosphere that the Gala you provide, deserve
2: away goals at Galatasaray, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> <laughs> the only
1: place you get it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this guys, really just intriguing. To, you know, just to close this off. I mean, just just to put on record, we do not appreciate. The um, the attitude towards these competitions, the Europa League and the Europa Conference League, that Brendan Rodgers has taken, where he says that you know after after six months of its existence, he admitted that he doesn't even know what the Europa League Conference actually is as a competition. I mean, Leicester have dropped into it, so you better figure it out quick, buddy. But these are important. These games are important. These competitions are important, and they should be important to these teams. And the large majority of the names that Jack and Dean have just read out as yeah, about sixteen teams there. They'll 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 be taking it seriously, and this is a, this is a this is going to be a real spectacle heading into twenty twenty two. He's dismissing it for a reason.
2: He's not going to take it seriously, and he's going to go straight out like he mm. did in the Europa. He should have won the Europa League last season. He shouldn't have got knocked out of that when he did.
0: Yeah, they, they fell apart in a, in a very very odd game with yeah. with Slavia Prague. Slavia wasn't it? They, yeah. Um, but yeah, they Leicester were favourites at that point, and they were favourites at the start of this season. And look where they are now. You this know? is the thing. Yeah, That's why the rule is. Down. Don't make Leicester favourites for anything. They only win things when they're 5,000 to 1. And on that bombshell, we're going to call this little segment a day. And we are going to come back after the break with our Medal of the Week and the gibberish rankings. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to Rags FC, it's time for everybody's favourite part of the week. Dean Jones, the floor is yours and to be honest, you've got a selection box to choose from this week. Oh my
2: goodness, what a stupid last week we've seen in football. Uh, Not just in football even, I might throw F1 into the mix here. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But I'm sticking to traditional methods of picking my melon of the week, so here we go. It's time for melon of the week. This week's melon of the week is... Raul Jimenez. Because no matter what else has gone on, no matter what UEFA have tried to do, no matter that Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang has just been stripped to the captaincy at Arsenal for more disciplinary issues, we cannot overlook what Raul Jimenez has done on a football pitch to affect his team from getting a positive result at Manchester City. So um, in the space of 31 seconds, first half seconds as well, Jimenez picks up two yellow cards, which results in a sending off. His first, a foul on Rodri where he's just breaking up play, really. It's, it's a bit of a silly one. Um, but then, like, just can't accept it and stands in front of the free kick. And look, we've seen people stand in front of the balls many times before. Like, it doesn't happen as much anymore because people know that they're going to get a yellow for it if the bloke suddenly kicks the ball at them. Um, and look, Jimenez stands there. He, for some reason, he's like trying to block the pass. What are you doing? Like, what are you possibly doing? You know the rules. Um, Bruno Large, not happy with him afterwards. He says he knows he cannot do that. You've got to take the yellow card. Um, but yeah, Jimenez doesn't accept it. He blocks, he, you know, the referee pulls him up on it. He gets his second yellow card. And Jimenez then takes
1: a lifetime, really, to actually come yeah. to terms
2: with what's going on. And
1: This is really weird. There was had, a really had some good headband play at work. There was some. There was a really good tweet from uh, from Musa Okwonga actually here saying that watching watching this happen, watching Raúl Jiménez leave the pitch, was basically like watching the, the five stages of grief play out. Um, because uh, first of all, he absolutely cannot believe it. Like, and to be fair to him, this stuff is against the rules, but it's very rarely called up on. I know he's a bit ex- he exaggerates and he's a bit obvious, but the very next day, I watched Seamus Coleman foul someone and then dive onto the ball and hold onto it with his hands to prevent a quick free kick and he got nothing. Was he just no was, d- he
0: just fell over. I have no idea what you meant. Like it was, he she tripped himself over, and he accidentally landed on the ball. There was nothing wrong with that. And accidentally there was it. about. And accidentally yeah, grabbed yeah.
1: it, and yeah. So I understand that the, the sort of the, the, the denial there from Real Jimenez is like, and he's like, what the hell? How can this possibly be happening? Then it settles in, and you get the anger. Then he starts to bargain with the, the referee. Then he's walking off. He's walking off the pitch and he throws his headband on the floor and then takes his gloves off and then starts to throw his gloves on the floor and pick them back up again so the city fans start going ooh and going wait when he throws his glove back on the floor and then there's a grin on his face as he eventually realizes what's happened tricks the crowd fakes the throw gets them to go "way" when he doesn't actually do it and that's the acceptance and there you go inside what was he 1 doing? minute I'd mate he's ridiculous what absolutely is he doing? ridiculous Fun uh, though, I mean, yeah, not fun for yeah. Wolves fans. It's I apologise,
2: but fun for everyone else. I mean, you know, they they only lost one nil to a penalty as well. Like, if you had Jimenez on the pitch for a second half, might have actually picked up a, a surprise point or maybe three. Like, just such a hard thing to do to play Man City anyway, because they're going to have all the ball, and to do it with ten men is mm. well, they certainly wouldn't have got any thank yous from his teammates who so have been absolutely shattered afterwards alongside him. But um, yeah. really, really melonish stuff that.
1: It's like giving yourself a dead leg and then challenging Usain Boltz for 100 to 100 meter race.
2: <laughs> that's a lovely analogy. Well
0: done, well done, um, and well done, Dean. Because uh, picking one there was no easy task this week. You had a yeah. A that's why I of traditional
2: methods of just someone who's acted like a melon on a football pitch. Absolutely.
0: It's
1: the gibberish alarm. It is. It is indeed. I mean, so That's this week, this week, um, I'm a bit, I'm a week late on this one. I know Spotify wrapped was a bit last week, but I just forgot to do it last week. Um, and then I had a couple of people on discord and a couple of requests saying, Hey, you said you were going to do it. You didn't do it. So, Hey, a week late, but we, we get to it. And, um, you know, last week we did this last, last, uh, sorry, last week, last year we did this. And, uh, last year I did top songs. Do you remember? And, um, Unfortunately, it was a really, it was a really embarrassing one at the top, which I don't want to relive. Um, it would be pointless for me to do top songs this time around because the entirety of the top five are Kid Cudi songs from the same album, and this, <laughs> and this was my shame. Um, at number three was Another Day. At number two was Tequila Shots. And at number one was Sad People. All three are from Kid Cuddy's latest album, Man on the Moon 3, which is an amazing album, obviously. Um, Spotify tells me that I have listened to that album 78 times this year. When was it released? A couple of years ago. Either early this year or, or, or late last year. So It is, yeah, it is, yeah, a, re- okay. it is a recent one. Um, but obviously there's something in me that just kind of continues to go back to that as like a comfort mechanism um was well, so it released so, in lockdown and, and you're, you're just harping back to those days do you know what actually so <laughs> the, during the initial lockdown do you remember the weekend brought out his his new album yeah. and yeah. that was right up there for me as well just because like what else was i going to do so uh, it's yeah funny it though, to,
2: now there are some songs that literally take
1: you back to lockdown there's
2: there's some oh, yeah. weird stuff happening there in music
1: yeah yeah absolutely when i listened to the, the weekend's album I, I i then imagined myself in my kitchen playing football manager during the first that's what you did for three months. <laughs> that's what I did, yeah. That's all I did. Um, but anyway, it'd be useless to go top songs because it's all it's all, it's all all Kid Cudi. So I was like, okay, we'll do top artist instead. Guess who the top artist is? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah um, no it could be anyone, couldn't it? Mm. Obviously, it's Kid Cudi. So maybe we'll, maybe we'll do five to two and we'll just, we'll just ignore Kid Cudi. But number five, and I, I feel differently about these different ones, but um, number five is Post Malone, who I continue to go back to. He's never quite hit the heights of Stony, his first album, but I'd say he's a pretty consistently decent artist. And I think I saw him in a film the other day, or I saw an advert for him in a film. So well done, Posty. You're really expanding your horizons there. Congratulations. He's a double threat now. Yeah. It's a really really strong couple of years in the music game, moving into the the film game. Basically, the new Eminem. Uh, And at number four is obviously Drake is Here. Is is it because
0: he's on every track? I wondered this because I Drake popped up in my top five, and I don't think I actively listen to that much Drake. But it's no. unavoidable,
2: isn't it? It just comes in. Uh, I, I don't. To. I like Drake loads, but I just don't. He's had actively... so many collaborations. No matter who you like to listen
1: to, Drake pops up on there. Yeah, album. he's do actively seek him out. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. bizarre. He's just he's just featured on everything, isn't he? He's just Ooh. as you say he's just kind of kind of ever present in the background as one of three contributing artists. Um, oh, yeah, you absolutely. you go back you go back sixty years and look at some some of some really old music and you'd be surprised actually find Drake's actually on those tracks He just didn't realise it at the time. Um, at number three, Melbourne. <laughs> wow. Now this is wow. now this is now this is interesting. Just <laughs> because we had a conversation about it. Or something? How much so, did you to-
0: listen to them after that?
1: Uh, well, no, this is just, I always, always listen to them. But this is interesting because this might be the most heated I've ever seen Jack Collins when I turned around to him and said that Melbourne were better than the Arctic Monkeys. It's one of the I, worst takes I've
0: ever heard.
1: I've never seen a man more incensed. And I stand by it. I prefer them clearly because Arctic Monkeys are not in my top five, but Melbourne a third. Uh, I prefer to listen to Melbourne over Arctic Monkeys. I mean, for those they that do launched at the same time, didn't they? And I remember, yeah, it, um, both for, Sheffield for those that don't bands. Yeah, yeah, they're just like one when I on take simple.
2: over the world, the other one. Didn't. didn't. And there was a reason <laughs> for that. Yeah. <laughs>
0: There's um, a big reason for that. And that one of them was, you know, a versatile, exquisite artist and
1: the other one was Milburn. Nah. <laughs> no, Milburn's first album was great. I'll give him that. I've got two words for you, Jack. Milburn robbed. <laughs> Milburn robbed. Uh, number two, or by virtue of this ranking, number one, because Kid Cudi is excluded, is Above and Beyond. And you cannot be surprised by that. Not surprised at all. It no. was always going to be Above and Beyond. That that is a genuine one where I go back and, um, and listen to it when I need soothing. Uh, it's very soothing. Um, and the, the, the thing that they've nailed down is that they've done all their songs in, in, a, in, a, in a trance style, and then they've done them all again in acoustic. So it doesn't matter what mood you're in, you can, you can always listen both. to them. Nice. yeah. Nice. And Ideal. then Ideal. you're listening to acoustic music and trance music and dance music, and it all feeds into the same artist. So they're number two. Hmm. Now, well enjoy these spotify raps lists before you
2: have children because once you do they are an absolute mess how high so, is peppa pig so i've got like the wiggles peppa pig <laughs> happy birthday reese's favorite song is happy birthday so we go on car journeys just with happy birthday on repeat and he just sits there smiling and goes, happy happy <laughs> This is great value. This is much better. I was going to read mine out, but well, I'm not
0: now. This yeah. is much better. We just stay yeah, with Dean. Exactly, yeah,
2: and then mixed among that, you get some actually decent music, but it doesn't matter anymore. I'm irrelevant. Yeah, a bit of, bit of Milburn in there with the <laughs> old yeah, Birthday. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. The thing, it's the rifles and Happy Birthday for Dean. That's how we know where we're at. Rifles, <laughs> DMAs, Cortinas,
0: Pepper Pig, Wiggles, Happy Birthday. <laughs> happy Days. <What>? Um, <laughs> mine was a, a bizarre mix of just like very, very London centric, like hip hop and. Sure. Uh, really odd Celtic folk music. Oh, was it, um, yeah, my, my top three were the High Kings in third, um, who are uh, a four-piece uh, Irish folk band, basically. Um, and then The Manor, uh, Two, The Manor weren't top of my Spotify wrapped for the first time in five years. Um, they were usurped this year. Have you apologised? I, I have, but I text them say sorry. Um, and then the, their band called Real Lies were top this year, um, who are, are very, very good. Um, I enjoy real lies a lot. Mm. So there you go. If you want to find out what my sound is like, real lies are pretty heavily involved in it.
1: Is that um, Irish folk stuff? Is that is that the one where you uh, you sing the same? verse over and over again but much quicker I've seen you do that a few times oh the rattling Bog no I, I
0: haven't done the rattling Bog no that's not them But um, that's yeah, not in your no, top three it should be no it's in my top three songs but it's not my top three artists so right. it's important even okay. important to give that also the other song that popped up in my top five songs at four but it was also the song that um, I've said that the song you've gone back to most individually uh, you know you've played on repeat most times is Jungle Land by Bruce Springsteen which I wasn't expecting at all mm. um, and I was a bit confused I love Jungle Land but it's also like 8 minutes long um and and it has like changes course about four times in the middle of it. so I wasn't quite expecting that but it is the song I've played on repeat most times but also it came forth in the songs you have played if that makes more yeah. if that makes any sense
1: yeah yeah um,
0: but yeah excellent well done well well done everyone um, very very good I'm glad that glad we got the shouts out there and thank you to everyone by the way who sent us lovely DMs or tweets or Instagrams um, with us as in your Spotify wrapped in the podcast bit because they're always much appreciated and, and we love seeing them roll in so thank you we very much yeah, that was appreciate a well nice day that. wasn't it it's watching a lovely all them day it's a really nice day you're like oh people listen to us this is good this is nice it <laughs> like, is yeah Yeah, it's (laughs) useful
2: there are people out there we do appreciate it Um, hang on we should actually say like christmas is coming up like ask for a for a christmas present you can actually get um an annual subscription to patreon now that is important Uh, um so you you explain more about that because i don't know how it works exactly but that's yeah. actually quite a good Christmas present for some of the ranks, Squad.
0: Yeah, if you're if you're looking to to get involved with the Patreon and get involved with the ultras, um, you can get an annual subscription on the Patreon now, so it's not month by month. Or you can go month by month, to be honest. Um, but if you're if you're looking for to get more involved, get our Monday and Friday podcasts and uh, it, it, join in with the uh, the ultras community with ranks, and uh, you can definitely ask for that for Christmas. You go Patreon.com forward slash Ranks FC, and all the details are in there, um, for you to to come and get involved. So yeah, if you fancy becoming uh, in into the into the inner circle of the ranks squad uh we'd love to have you we'd love to have yeah. you, the you perfect send a Christmas
2: present would be that subscription along with a hoodie a shirt <laughs> <and> a <laughs> top, all from New Balance in the in that shop now <laughs> there he is our top salesman Dean Jones and I'll send and... you a signed photo for five <laughs> English pounds
0: <laughs> well, I was going to say if you want to give us a Christmas present we'd really appreciate if you left us a review uh, on iTunes mm. if you listen to us on iTunes that would be very much appreciated in this festive season uh, it gives us a boost it helps new people find us um it's just a really useful thing to have so if you do fancy giving us a little christmas present a review would be much appreciated on itunes Uh, and with that i think we're gonna call this a day ladies and gentlemen all that's left for me to do is to say thank you very much for listening thank you very much to sam Tai. cheers buddy thank you very much to dean jones cheers mate i've been jack collins this has been ranks fc thank you again for listening we really really do appreciate it we'll be back next week with our christmas special which will be well a couple of days before Christmas, but it's the closest release date to Christmas Day. We hope you're having a wonderful festive period wherever you are in the world. Take it easy, right, squad. Peace.